Hi guys, welcome back. This is Doug. Um, again, this podcast is brought to you by four incredible sponsors. I want to thank them. I mean that in all sincerity. These, these folks are great and they are helping me make this happen. CCS Group, Custom Concrete Specialists, Cheyenne, Josh, and all the people at CCS Group. Um, CCS Group is a leading expert on safety and longevity of concrete structures. Their focus is on superior customer service, quality materials, and workmanship. Nationwide services include structural liners, carbon fiber technology, exterior restoration, and structural assessments. Uh, everything done safely. Uh, they are refurbishing grain elevators, concrete grain elevators, and uh, they do a fantastic job. Also, safety reports. Steve, Chet, Eric, all the folks over at Safety Reports, they've been supporting me from the very beginning. I can't thank them enough. Uh, safety Simplified. If you're not using Safety Reports, uh, go to the website, safety-reports.com, and check them out. Their, their products uh, are fantastic. They are useful. They make your life easier. So check out Safety Reports. Nebraska Department of Labor On-Site Consultation Group. Jim Cover and his um, safety and health specialists uh, are available to help you uh, evaluate risk in your workplaces and, and uh, address those things. Um, Cover has been doing it a long time. Uh, he and I started back in the 90s at the same time, and um, he's the program director at this point, and they do a terrific job. Uh, your tax dollars are paying for this if you live here in Nebraska, if you work in Nebraska. They specialize on smaller businesses, 250 employees on site, 500 nationwide. So they're intended for small business. If you are a small business and you're not using on-site consultation, I highly recommend that you give Jim a call. Check him out, 402-471-4717. And you can find, find them in Nebraska Department of Labor. I think safety is the tag for them, so check them out. Then finally, Medical Enterprises. Um, medical enterprises, Lou, Beth, Sean, um, these guys are involved in occupational and medical health services. They do drug testing, drug screening, uh, for one of my clients today, I think Lou is doing some fit testing, uh, maybe some audiology. Um, they are incredibly helpful. They, they travel, they come onto your site. They make life so much more convenient rather than having to send employees out to an occupational health facility. Medical Enterprises will come to you and do those things for you. So check them out as well. So all of my sponsors, thanks again, guys. I appreciate it. Hey, this is a safety short, OSHA short number five. Today we're talking about respiratory protection. This is really timely and interesting, I think, because, you know, with the COVID and the face coverings and masks and respirators and all these different things right now, there is just so much misinformation and um misunderstanding, I think, about those things that we put over our faces. Um, I think I just want to get back to the basics of respiratory protection from an occupational safety and health standpoint. So that's what we're going to talk about today. This is one of the OSHA's top 10 most frequently cited. I'm going to read you, actually, um, yeah, here we go. I'm going to read you the five subparagraphs that get cited most frequently, and then we're going to talk a little bit about respiratory protection. Okay. Uh, this is OSHA 29 CFR 1910.134. For those of you that are following along in your regulations, um, the employer shall provide a medical evaluation to determine the employee's ability to use a respirator before the employee is fit tested 
or required to use the respirator in the workplace. The employer may discontinue an employer an employee's uh, medical evaluation when the employee is no longer required to use a respirator. Okay, that's the most frequently cited is the medical evaluation. Number two, in any workplace where respirators are necessary to protect the health of the employee or whenever respirators are required by the employer, necessary or required, the employer shall establish and implement a written respiratory protection program with worksite-specific procedures. The program shall be updated as necessary to reflect those changes in the workplace conditions that affect respirator use. Number three, where respirator use is not required, so we typically refer to that as voluntary use respirators. Number four, the employer shall ensure that an employee using a tight-fitting facepiece respirator is fit-tested prior to initial use of the respirator Whenever a different different respirator face piece, based on size, style, model, or make is used, so if we use a different one, and at least annually thereafter, okay, we're talking fit testing. And then the fifth most frequently cited subpart of respiratory protection, the employer shall ensure that employees using a tight-fitting face piece respirator pass an appropriate qualitative fit test or quantitative fit test as stated in this paragraph, Okay. So those are the most frequently cited subparagraphs. Let's talk a little bit about respiratory protection. First of all, we need to talk about the hierarchy of control, okay? It states this in uh, 1910-134. It states it in 1910-1000, which is the the, uh, tables for air contaminants. Basically, the expectation is that you follow the hierarchy of control when um, when you identify air contaminants, noise contaminants, things of that nature, uh, and try to develop a control strategy, okay? So the hierarchy is going to be, you know, you're familiar with it. I know you've all, you're all familiar with the hierarchy of control, but elimination of hazards, substitution perhaps of less hazardous chemicals to reduce that exposure, um, engineering controls, uh, work practice controls, administrative controls, and ultimately at the bottom of this hierarchy, we have personal protective equipment, which is where we include respiratory protection. And so the standard basically says, follow the hierarchy of control if and where engineering controls and or work practice controls, administrative controls do not get you below the PEL So not feasible, the engineering controls, the hierarchy is not feasible to get us below the PEL. Then you can use respirators or even during the implementation of your controls. And so there are really only a few occasions where we're allowed to use respirators. You need to be careful about that. Uh, There have been a number of cases here in the Omaha area office where they insisted that companies get below the permissible exposure limit using engineering and work practice controls. They weren't going to allow PPE essentially under any circumstances because they were of the mind that these exposures needed to be controlled using that hierarchy. I'm not sure that I agree with all of those necessarily, but you must use feasible engineering and work practice controls before you go to PPE. I do agree with that. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about some of these citations, okay? The employer shall provide a medical evaluation to determine the employee's ability. And so um, this is typically a questionnaire that the employee would complete. There's an example of the questionnaire in the regulation, uh, or you send them to uh, PLICP, a physician or other licensed healthcare professional, 
and have some type of a pulmonary function test done, spirometry. I don't know if any of you have done spirometry. It's an incredibly big pain in the ass, but uh, that is one method that can be used to determine uh, the ability to wear a respirator. It's up to this medical professional ultimately to determine yes or no. But we need to do that medical evaluation before we put people in respirators, okay? Sometimes we get out of the appropriate sequence, okay? Medical evaluation first, fit testing, and then, you know, put them out in the workplace. And so, and I skip training, of course, but, you know, let's not, let's not get out of order on these things because obviously the medical evaluation appears to get skipped frequently and people are getting cited uh, frequently for that. The second one, um, let's see, the employer shall establish and implement a written respiratory protection program with worksite specific procedures. And so what I commonly see would be uh, a written a written program uh, that has some type of a table that identifies different activities or different exposures in your workplace and then the appropriate respirator that is prescribed for that exposure, you know, something that I can refer to. Uh, one thing that's important to note is that every respirator has limitations. Uh, there is not one respirator that is typically good for everything, you know, perhaps unless we're talking about self-contained breathing apparatus or something. So <clears throat> make sure that you have identified specific work exposures in your workplace and the respirators or the approach that you're taking to address those exposures uh, in that written program, okay? Um, they don't have to be voluminous. Uh, I've seen respiratory protection programs might be two or three pages long, absolutely appropriate. Make sure you have somebody to administer that program that knows something about respirators. Uh, it's not really a program that can be well administered by someone who's unfamiliar with respiratory protection, so keep that in mind. Uh, number three, we're talking about voluntary use. There's a, there's a significant number of citations where respirator use is not required. And so, um, and there, there remains a little bit of confusion about this as well. So we talked about earlier that if you, if you need respirators, you know, they are mandatory based on the exposure or the employer requires them. You know, you may be at the PEL or even a little bit below the PEL, but the employer requires the use of respirators just to be cautious. If they are mandatory or required, we have to have a written program. Voluntary use, there are a couple of elements to this. If you're using a filtering face piece, a paper dust mask per se, you know, it's a respirator. It's a, got a NIOSH approval number, but it is, you know, an N95, for example. Filtering face piece, you can use those voluntarily. Um, meaning that we're in an environment that would not require respiratory protection. They're typically used for comfort, maybe against dust or dirt or something like that, allergens, something to that effect. You can allow that as long as that respirator is used in a, in a fashion that will not create a hazard simply based on its use, okay? Uh, keep that in mind. If you do go to voluntary use of uh, elastomeric rubber face pieces, there are a few more elements to your program that you actually have to include, okay, including uh, cleaning, storage, things like that. All right. A um, couple of things I want to touch on. We talked qualitative fit testing is where you smoke a guy in the bag, right? I mean, you put him in a bag, you hit him with some irritant smoke. It is basically a qualitative assessment. It's a pass-fail type of an assessment. 
Um, that can be difficult. There are some people that are not as sensitive to the testing agents, whether that be Bitrix or, you know, irritant smoke or something. Just be careful about that. There is a step where you have to actually challenge them with the uh, agent and make sure that they can smell it or respond to it. Storage. One of the biggest issues that I see is improper storage of respirators. Man, they get thrown down on the workbench. They get thrown into the toolbox. Uh, we need to we need to do much better about how we store respirators. Change out schedules for cartridges. Uh, this is incredibly uh, challenging at times, particularly if you're utilizing uh, cartridges against uh, airborne chemicals or contaminants rather than simply filtering out dust or mist or something like that. We need to develop change out schedules to the extent that we are able to do that. Facial hair. I'm going to touch just briefly on facial hair. If you have mandatory respirator use, okay, required by the employer or required based on that exposure level, OSHA says that you cannot have facial hair that will interfere with the sealing surface. You know, the surface of the respirator that makes contact and seals with your face. And so this is a huge issue in a number of locations, number of companies, you know, guys and gals, I suppose, I don't want to be discriminatory, but you know, employees that don't want to shave their facial hair, um, you know, man, you probably cannot allow them to wear tight fitting respirators. This is, uh, they certainly can't be fit tested that way. I mean, Hey, I, I think you can actually, in some circumstances, get them to pass a fit test, but OSHA prohibits that. So look carefully at that. If you're using a voluntary use respirator, the facial hair isn't as big an issue, obviously, because we are not in a hazardous environment and therefore the fit isn't, frankly, of any concern. I mean, we're just using it as a basic comfort device, almost like a face covering of sorts. Uh, and as I mentioned, limitations, just make sure that you know the limitations of the respirators that you are prescribing for these different activities. Um, they all have limitations. Okay, make sure that you have the right filter or the right filtration, or the right cartridges, or depending upon the nature of the, ex the in exposure, the environment, uh, maybe you need to supply air rather than purify air, things like that. So keep in mind that they all have limitations, and we need to be aware of that. So that's quick and dirty on respiratory protection. That is an incredibly complex um, issue uh, and we could go into great detail on that at some time in the future but hopefully for now that'll get you on board with these uh, most frequently cited elements of that standard um, thanks for listening i appreciate it thanks to all my sponsors hopefully you've been mentioned and we'll talk to you later <laughs> bye bye a parkville media production <laughs>